and welcome to the Eye on the U podcast, the Miami Herald, Miami Hurricanes podcast. I'm David Wilson, and I'm joined, as always, on the other line by Susan Miller-Degnan, our Hurricanes beat writer here at the Herald. Susan, how's it going? It is going well, as usual. I'm back. I'm back in the, uh, the Southeast. Yeah, <laughs> back from parts unknown, uh, just in time for uh, some baseball playoffs. Uh, we're definitely going to get to that. Today, we'll get to a little recruiting um, in the second half of the episode, too. Not, not really any news there, but, but still just uh, obviously dead period ended this week. Uh, we're also going to talk a little tennis. Uh, we've not talked. I don't think we've ever talked about Estela Perez-Sumariba on the show. If it, if it has, it's just been in passing. But her career wrapped up uh, with a NCAA runner-up appearance. It's going to be a real grab bag. Early summer grab bag where... Uh, in the dog days, kind of, of the football calendar, except for recruiting, which uh, has not picked up quite enough for us to uh, gear a whole episode around. But we'll start with the news of the day. Um, one that uh, it's there, – there's always – it always seems like uh, whenever the, the day for nominations for the Hall of Fame comes out, there are a couple of hurricanes to talk about. Uh, that is certainly the case this year. Um, up for the first time this year. Uh, Ken Dorsey, uh, Larry Coker, and Brian McKinney. Do I have that right? Are those the three new ones? You have it. You have it. The two players, Dorsey and McKinney, and the coach, Larry Coker. So, yep. Susan, you obviously uh, covered all three of them. Well, what are yep. your thoughts on, on those three being up for the hall? Uh, I think they're definitely worthy. Um, I mean, I think all those guys from the – I. I I'm prejudiced. Well, it's tricky, right? Because like college football, there's so many incredible players because everyone's career is short and right. I don't know. Like everyone up is obviously incredible, but yeah, especially with those Hurricanes teams. As I'm That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I've done so many stories on as far as like uh, you know best teams of all time, and of course, you know, I mean, now you've got this year's right uh, Alabama team, and yeah. I, I just, I just think that those. From my perspective, because I know him best, I, I I just feel like the 2001 Hurricanes team was amazing. I mean, I can't, you know, it just goes on and on and on. The great, the mm-hmm. great, and uh, and and of course, Ken Dorsey, quarterback, and and left tackle Bryant McKinney, um, were two of them. You know, two of the great players, and and they're both definitely deserving. I went to the Heisman. I went to the Heisman. Uh, ceremonies twice for Ken Dorsey in New York. He was a finalist. He never, he never won it. I understand, but um, he was just, he was just such a great college quarterback. You know, he did what he had to do. He, he got the ball where to his playmakers and there were so many of them. He didn't make mistakes. Um, and, uh, and Bryant McKinney, I mean, what can you say? The guy just, he never gave up a sack. Can you imagine? Can yeah. You imagine? The her never gave up sack in after uh you know and Zion Nelson who's a great offensive lineman now remember his freshman year he gave up like two sacks a game <laughs> yeah I mean Brian McKinney forget it he just never gave up a sack in his whole career can you imagine so mm-hmm. I mean that's what Ken Dorsey had as a bodyguard so uh I without a doubt Bryant won the um the Outland Trophy and, you know, one of the years they were all kind of consensus type all Americans. And, uh, you know, there's just not, not enough you can say about them. I mean, I, my, 
Dorsey, a great guy, a very cerebral kind of guy. Um, I have a, I have this memory. I think I've talked about this before, maybe years ago, but of uh, being on the road and staying at some hotel where the hurricanes were staying. And Dorsey was a very young, young quarterback then. It might have been, I guess he had already, he already was a starter or maybe he mm-hmm. would, you know, being groomed. But I remember looking outside my hotel window and it was a small place. It had to be a, a like small town place and seeing him sitting on the curb with his, with his, uh, his right hand balled into his fist and kind of gently knocking it against his forehead. Like imagine with his eyes closed, just kind of repetitively, just <laughs> go, like he was thinking really hard. He was concentrating, he was getting ready. And that's the type of guy he was. He was pretty intense. Um, he was great to the media and a very nice guy, but he could, we could really get him riled up if you, if you all challenged him on anything. He'd get really defensive and stuff. He was a perfect guy to cover. So, um, yeah, and then, and then, David, the last one, uh, I mean, I, I think everybody thinks, at least UM fans think that those guys are deserving, but yeah. Coker is the one um, that's really interesting because, first of all, he's going to be 73 years old later this month. Mm-hmm. Um, he coached from 2001 through 2006, and he gets a lot of grief from UM fans um, who say that the only reason he won was the only reason he won the championship was he was playing with Butch Davis's players. And while, you know, that, yeah, Butch Davis left the year before that to go to the NFL, to go to Cleveland. But, um, you know, Coker, I, you know, I firmly believe that a coach has to do something, no matter how great his players are, you're still coaching. He was the offensive coordinator before that. You just don't, say go on the field and then you win a national championship yeah. do anything i mean i i you know i just larry coker has to get credit that's all whether yeah, it feels like every generation in college or maybe every decade i guess is more accurate than a generation in college football there's like kind of one of those coaches who's like you know for the most part the teams that win are like you know, literally like either coached by Nick Saban, Dabo, Swinney, or Urban Meyer, like the, the vast majority of teams that win in the last 20 years, basically. Right. Um, but every once in a while, you know, you get a Larry Coker, uh, you get a Gene Chizik at uh, Auburn with uh, right. the Cam Newton team. You know, it's too early to know whether Coach O at, at LSU, whether his one year was a, a flash in the pan to a degree, or if um, this last season where, uh, they were not good was the outlier in this weird COVID season, but uh, right, those guys ultimately just never get the credit. Um, I, I think the difference with Coker between a guy like Gene Chizik um, is, as you mentioned, like that 2001 team obviously is like a case is the best ever. Um, I don't think anyone would make that case for that Auburn team, um, mm-hmm. which like that kind of, I think, not pushes him up. Uh, a notch basically and then obviously you know in a lot of ways his career was derailed not necessarily because of like on field stuff it was um you know everything going on around the program right yeah there I mean it was just uh yeah well they they yeah they I mean they did start 
you could tell that the talent was leaving and uh, right. uh, yeah i mean you know larry also um his first three years 12 and 0 12 and 1 11 and 2 and i know like you're saying like how much it was obviously a lot of inherited players, but that's a pretty good run. And then two nine win seasons before he finished. Yeah, that, exactly. Exactly. And he, his, his total, his composite record at UM was 60 and 15. I mean, who wouldn't want that record? Yeah. And, and he also was the first, first, first year coach, first rookie head coach to ever lead his team to a national title since 1948. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's impressive. Um, and, and not to mention, he was a really, really great guy. And um, I remember um, the last time, and I might've talked about this too in the past, the last game uh, we, when I think, I guess he knew it was his last game. Mm-hmm. I think it was a, the, a bowl, it was a bowl game. And yeah. Yeah, I, MPC I think it was MPC. Yeah, yep. exactly. In Boise. Yeah. Um, uh, I think they, they beat Nevada like the last second. I remember it was snowing that game, but it was really weird. But um, I think they beat Nevada. I've got to check that. But um, he, he, he had tears in his eye when he said yeah. goodbye to us. Such a like a like a first class kind of guy. You know, he said he took the media, he took all of us aside and said he was going to miss working with us. And I swear he had tears in his eyes. Mm-hmm. What coach would have tears in their eyes now saying goodbye to the media? <laughs> so, Resume. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, he was, those were the days that you could call. Yeah, yeah. Hated that. You could call a coach. Like, I, 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 you know, I'm sure his wife, Diana, hated me because... <laughs> All of a sudden, she'd answer the phone, and and you know, it was me asking for Larry. But uh, it was those were pretty cool days back then. There was no social media, and um, it was just a whole. It was a whole different world, and you really got to know the players and the coaches um, much closer. Kind of, I, you know, you got to know all of them. Not no zooms, no. It was it was up close and personal. And yeah, so those days will never be back, obviously, but uh, it did my heart good to see, to see those guys on the Hall of Fame ballot. You know, you wonder as it, UM has so many great guys in the Hall of Fame, uh, so many. Last year, it was Dan Morgan, another one of my favorites, uh, linebacker. Um, you wonder how many now is it, you know, because those were the, glor- the kind of the last glory yeah. And right. once, once we get past this Ken Dorsey, Brian McKinney, like, I don't know how many guys are still left from that era who are not, who have not been nominees at some point where we could be running into a little drought here where the late yes. 2000s, there's not a whole lot of potential college football Hall of Famers that came through Miami. There were a lot of great guys then, but you're right. And I always think about that with the UM Hall of Fame also, mm-hmm. uh, kind of. You know, God, think of all the great UM athletes in all the different sports. But, uh, you know, just um, for football, it just gets thinner. That's all as far as, you know, as far as, you know, national type winners. So, yeah. Anyway, it was nice to see you today. 
Yeah, but once again, of course, Howard Schnellenberger not nominated uh, because of a bogus 60% win percentage threshold that they won't waive for him, um, even though yeah. they've waived it for guys in the past. Yeah, even though that exactly just makes absolutely no sense. But um, I, w- I wouldn't I wouldn't give up on that, though. Yeah, it, it feels like it'll happen one day. You just would have liked it to happen maybe when he was alive still. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, um, let's talk some baseball now. Uh, you, uh, as we are recording this, I think a story, I haven't even looked at it yet because it was posting basically right as we started, uh, you posted a big preview for the, um, upcoming regionals, the path to the college world series begins this weekend. Um, the last time we talked about Miami baseball, I think really was two weeks ago. We kind of ignored it last week because games I think were going on as we were recording, um, but they had a huge sweep over Louisville to end the regular season and then just Mm -hmm. absolutely flamed out of the ACC tournament. Um, last weekend, um, yeah. Miami goes up to Gainesville this weekend as the, uh, the two seed in their region there. Um, what people, obviously a lot of people check in just in time for the college world series. Um, what, what do people uh, need to know? Well, um, they need to know that this will be the first time that there can be, uh, crowds, uh, you know, that crowds are being yeah. allowed, um, post well, It's not post-COVID, but, you know, the post-pandemic, whatever you want to call it, the NCAA is opening Mm. up now. Um, And that will, and Gainesville is a very hard place. It's it's the new Florida ballpark. Um, It's very hard to play. Those fans are amazing in Florida. Uh, It's like they are at Miami, actually, but they're really crazy there. And it is a new ballpark, but it's one that Miami kind of christened because, the uh, Florida $65 million, it's called Florida ballpark in Gainesville. Um, Miami played in the first series there and did beat the Gators finally yeah. in the series. They won the, the uh, it was a three game series. They won game number two and game number three to take the series that had to give them a lot of confidence. They were ranked number one after that, but then, you know, that's, it's so early, you know how that goes. Yeah. In the season. And they ended up unranked. Uh, Miami ended up, um, like you said, uh, with a with a unbelievably important sweep on the road at Louisville um, in the last reg in uh, yeah the last was it last regular season series yeah the last regular season series two weeks yeah but yeah we can exactly yeah. but and it was on the road but then they go into the ACC and they flop um, they lose two straight games to Duke 
and Florida State. Dukes was a walk-off home run. Um, but um, the Louisville series saved them, and they end up getting a number two seed. Um, Miami, basically, in a nutshell, they're really suffering at the plate and scoring runs. Um, Gino, Gino Damari, the head coach, keeps saying that they're inconsistent. Well, they are, but they haven't been able to put, put together the hitting, pitching, um, and the defense. The defense has been pretty, pretty darn good, except for, I think, the last FSU game. But otherwise, at the end of the season, they've been really good. The pitching has been very good lately. The, end of, the back end of the bull, bullpen is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hitting has been really uh, lacking. And guys that, you know, they expected, you know, like Terrell, Alex Terrell, who led the ACC in 2019, before that, that was the last full season pre-COVID. Um, I think he had 24 home runs that year and led the ACC. I, this year, he has six home runs total and is batting 260. You know, UM has only two players batting over 300. Um, and they really need help. They're not scoring a lot of runs, okay? They're, even, if, even when they win games, they're scoring two runs, yeah. three runs. That's not enough. No way. Not in the regional. Um, anyway, it's a double elimination, David, as always. And they, um, they, you know, they, they start with South Alabama, which won the Sunbelt conference, but they, South Alabama also was, I think, Sunbelt winner period. Um, and they're not a bad team. They have some, they have a, they have some good, good players. Um, so this should be pretty interesting. Um, and then, you know, and then USF is in it also. They play Florida. I think everybody's – UM just has to win the first game. Yeah. Got, uh, if they can win that first game, and actually if they can win the first two games, then they'd be in the driver's seat. Then, you know, but if they lose one of the first two games, they have to go to five. And it's, it's just too hard on your pitching staff, and that's when it gets all crazy. Um, so, because the the Gators, the Gators, you know, are very good, and that's their home field. So, but I think everybody's waiting for a UM UF matchup. That'll be really fun. We're hoping it happens. Yeah, it's interesting that the the hitting has been such an issue because I feel like at the start of the year, I mean, remember they like kind of abandoned their whole starting rotation a couple of weeks into the season. Like, right. um, it's it's it kind of speaks, I think, to. Uh, like the inconsistency or I, I think you said like they're just inability to kind of put everything together at once. Right. Like the, yes, there has not been one story for this team this year. Right. It's been like, it feels like every week they have a dip. There's a different reason they were losing a series or, um, or a different reason they were winning a series. One of the stories is this uh, Carson uh, Palmquist. Yes. Freshman. Second team All-American. Yeah, say he's the number two saves leader in the nation. He has 13 saves. Um, and he's really good. He has a really great fastball. And, and what's ironic is um, he, gave, he gave up a home run. A, he gave up the walk-off home run to Duke, which lost him the game. And then he also – I think he lost – well, that, that he lost that, and he gave up another home run, I think, in the next game. Um, and it's funny because 
G, uh, not Gino, JD Ortiaga, the pitching coach, told me, I think yesterday, that we were talking and he said that everybody's worried now about Carson. Is he okay? Is he okay? He, he, he says he's fine as long as there's, there's a, a batter sitting in between the standing in between the catcher and pitcher. Sometimes they're going to get hits. Yeah. No matter who is pitching. And he said that one of those, I think the, I think the walk-off home run might have been a bad pitch. And he said the guy just went for it and put it out. It should have even been hit. So um, I think they're in good shape there as long as he has the emotional, uh, what it takes, you know, because he hasn't really been challenged that much. He's done so well all season. Um, But they have, and they have some really good, lately starters but they're like you said they, they've changed the rotation a zillion times yeah they've pitching rotation they've changed the lineup so you really never know what you're going to get who um yeah you know, i think a lot of people know adrian del castillo you mentioned terrell uh i guess palmquist is i think he's the one all-american we've had the i am he's had so far who's like the guy that, that maybe you could see this weekend like if this team gets through gainesville who needs to have like the, the star who needs to star this weekend? Well, I think, uh, I think, you know, like, uh, Christian Del Castillo, who's a, who's a, right. who's Adrian's older brother. Yeah. And he's a, he has a top batting average 360. Yeah. He's a transfer and he's never been in a regional and he's kind of a clutch guy. I think he'll, uh, I think he has to do well. Um, the, uh, Raymond Gill, who's a designated hitter. Yeah, he had the he's, home run against uh, Florida State over the weekend. He, he's, yeah, Florida, he's Florida State game. Yeah, and well, he had, he also he's had a lot of success in Gainesville. In Gainesville, he's hit four hundred. Okay, uh, career eight for twenty. He's got a double, two home runs, and five RBI in six career games there. And he's the one who had the game-winning hit in the extra innings game in the thirteenth inning mm-hmm. when. They, that second game in the opening series this season, then he had a homer the next day. He's really, uh, he's really good and he's a veteran and he's used to playing in front of crowds. And um, I think he's got to, I think they, they need to depend on him and he's got to do well also. So, um, and I mean, everybody, everybody's got to, Everybody's got to step up and get some yeah. hits. I mean, I'm looking at actually uh, MLB.com put out their newest mock draft today, just the first round. And, you know, neither mm-hmm. Del- Miami doesn't have a single guy in there. And I think at the start of the year, they had like three, three potential top 30 picks or something. I know Del Castillo, I, I think, was like top five. Terrell was, yeah, he was top, top five. Terrell was, I think, in the top 30. Um, so, you know, those, those guys have obviously like that's been a big reason this team is underachieved right it's just the stars have not been the stars yeah for sure for sure but obviously that could all change in a hurry like if if, if Terrell hits three home runs this weekend like all of a sudden it's like all right oh, yeah. awesome who cares that he was kind of disappointing all year yeah I mean this is yeah this is it and and like I I just posted a story uh, advancing the the regionals in Gainesville um and uh, you know, this, this, this program has been a 25 college world series, which is amazing. Um, and, you know, they won four of them. They have four national titles. They were, they were one out. I led my story with the famous or as JD Arteaga told me, 
it's famous or infamous, depending on who you're talking to. But the, the Warren uh, Morris home run in 1996, uh, UM was playing LSU. There were two outs. UM's one game away from winning a, a college World Series. And this kid, Warren Morris, who had never, who had not hit a home run all season, he hit a, Ortega said it was a low inside slider off a very good UM uh, closer, which is interesting, Robbie Morrison, for a, uh, a walk-off homer to right field. And LSU had two guys on base, two outs. This guy takes the first pitch with two outs. I mean, he doesn't take, you know, he hits the first pitch for a home run. And UM, I, saw, I watched the video and it was just heartbreaking. I just, you know, all of a sudden LSU has a title and Miami is just in total shock. Um, but what they're saying is it used to be that Miami expected them to get to the World Series. They haven't been there since 2016. Um, so now they've just got to concentrate on the regional, really, and try to get to the super regional. So then I then I got another uh, great story from Gino Damari, the coach of UM. Um, and I was I was at this game in Gainesville. It was so fun. Um, it was a, it was a regional. It was June 2nd, 2002, and Miami, this kid, Jim Burt, whose father is, I guess, Jim Burt Sr., I think he was a like a all-pro, I don't know, an NFL guy, and he was a star in UM football team. Um, anyway, he, um, Jim Burt, with two strikes and two outs, okay, <laughs> doubles uh, to left center, and he drives in two runs, and it's a walk-off and Miami defeats Florida 8-7 in Gainesville. And it was Miami's ninth consecutive regional championship. And it was totally amazing. I'll never forget that game. Jim Burt's father, who was kind of a maniac, really nice guy, but a maniac, I think he jumped <laughs> over the fence. He jumped over the fence and like ran onto the field. And, and, uh, and Gino, we have a great classic picture that our photographer Al Diaz yeah. took. We used Jim, I'm sorry, Gino Damari was coaching third base that game. And he runs over to Jim Burt. And oh, is that what that was? Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. a great picture. I'm he, looking at it right now. Yeah, he, they, he runs over and, and they're hugging and he, they fall on the ground. Um, they end up falling on the ground. We have like three of those pictures. I think I only put in one. And they end up falling like on top of each other on the ground. It was yeah. just, it was pure elation. Um, it was a really cool moment. Um, so, and then, you know, just Gainesville, it's always dramatic, always. So I'm excited that they're playing there. All right. Uh, let's wrap up with two other quick topics. I know you got to get out of here in a couple minutes. Uh, first, just really quickly touching on recruiting. We, we did a sure. big recruiting centric episode last week, so we don't have to get too much into it. Not a whole lot of news this week. Uh, the dead period ended Tuesday, so everyone had like a million people on campus this week. Um, Miami, no commitments this week. I, I don't think a lot of you – know, I haven't seen a lot of really notable commitments necessarily happen this week. Um, I think a lot of people are kind of waiting until later in June. You know, they want to check out two, three, four schools this month before they kind of make their decision. Um, but Miami, like basically uh, – Barry Jackson did a pretty good rundown today. Just a, He went through the entire ESPN 300. Um, it's not my favorite ranking service, but whatever. Um, and went through all the South <laughs> Florida guys in there and just like what's up with them. Um, 
And pretty much everyone that Miami wants was on campus at least once in this week, which to me, like, I don't know, that's, that's as good as you could ask for right now. None of them committed elsewhere. So you didn't lose ground. This was, uh, you know, Shamar Stewart is the number one player in South Florida was, was there twice this week. Um, you know, Julian Armella, Wesley Besanti, all the uh, American Heritage guys are a little Marvin Jones, like all, everyone who they want was on campus this week. Um, so to me, just a, a good start, not like a incredible start, you know, an incredible start and locking up a couple commitments these last few days, but um you know, it, a, a positive start. And it's just fun to kind of see the recruiting going on again. It's been so long. Uh, yeah, I, I think we kind of knew. We talked about that last yeah. week. No, that yeah, I think it's going to be late June, early July. When I talk to most guys, they say late June, early July is kind of what they're targeting for commitments. Yeah, there's two, Now, these don't count as uh, official visits. No, no, these are unofficials. They have a couple of officials this weekend. So I wouldn't be surprised maybe if they start getting some commitments, like when guys are on official visits, right? They, that's a lot of times when guys try to lock things up, uh, especially the out-of-state guys who you don't know when they're going to be able to get back down here, the out-of-South-Florida guys. You know, most guys have a couple official visits lined up, so maybe they want to take all three or four in the next few weeks. But, um, yeah, Miami's got a couple this weekend. Yeah, um, I, I just think that they we, – we also talked about this. They, they, as far as visits, UM loves when they come like yes. a December. Okay. <laughs> or no, wait, like the uh, yeah, like the week before the early signing period, basically. Right, First exactly. Week of December or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, but they're always. It's funny because I I see their tweets and they're so excited and they love UM and whatever, and then they go to FSU. And yeah, they're, they're excited everywhere they go. Yeah, I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. They 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 get treated like uh, you know, first class citizens. Yeah. And I'm sure uh, they, Miami had cookouts the last couple of days. I don't know who was cooking, but I'm sure it was pretty good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, all right, do you want to wrap up uh, by talking sure. some tennis? Sure. Estella Perez, as I mentioned at the top, Estella Perez Somariba, um, a person we probably have not said that name more than like once or twice in the history of this podcast, um, and probably deserves more, right? Like she is. Uh, Today, or I think it was yesterday, the final rankings came out. She finished number one, even though she lost in the national championship. Um, but it was the, basically the cap to one of the, like, all-time great Miami Hurricanes careers, right? Like, she's okay, a sure. – when you talk about my UM Hall of Famers, like, she's as much a lock as there has been at Miami oh, uh, my God, in yes. the last five years or whatever. For sure. Sure, for sure. She won the national championship two thousand nineteen. Yeah. She, she, you know, she returned after COVID, became the first, I believe, national champion in the country, um, to return when the NCAA um, allowed right all the yeah, her tw- most of or the second half of her twenty twenty season got canceled because of COVID, and she couldn't defend right. her title. Right, exactly, and I just love that she went on to, and and yeah, I think I'm not sure if we co- we covered this last week, but that she how she won. No, I guess we. Won. I don't think we did. Um, yeah, what she was down five. Uh, she was down yeah. one. Lost the first set, down five zero in the second set. Yeah, like literally the, the biggest comeback possible. Yeah, and then she comes back and wins the next two sets. I she just uh, 
she's the best in class and smart and everything else you want in an athlete. But, you know, it's a minor sport to college fans. Mm-hmm. That is not to, not to, you know, not in the real world, but if that's, if she could get, and she'll now go, you know, play in, in lower level pro tournaments and try yeah. to get a, you know, a decent ranking. And I really hope uh, her career takes off. Yeah. And um, as you know, she, I, I covered it last Friday, the, the national championship. And, and she was talking about, you know, she, she's from Spain, um, from Madrid, I, th- I think she said, um, and, you know, when she got to UM, she like could not speak English that well. And, um, you know, she's like an ultimate, like, when you think of like these smaller sports and like what the, su- what defines a success story in like the non-football basketball, um, mm-hmm. it really, you know, and she's obviously, like you said, she's going to be a professional tennis player now. Like she's, she's gonna, that's her job now. Um, but it, a huge part of like what, like the, the cliche, like college, college sports, like why it matters is like players like that. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know enough about what she was as a 17, 18 year old, but um, you know, now she's, um, you know, she spent five years in college, like got exposure to a whole different country. Like uh, obviously like learned a new language, basically like got her degree. Um yeah. Last year, I think she graduated. Degrees. Last year, she got her master's. Yeah, didn't maybe she? a ma- early started a master's, and you know, she said yeah. like when she came, like that was what was important, and obviously the tennis. Uh, like I said, I don't know what she was like as a freshman or a seventeen-year-old or an eighteen-year-old, but um, you know, if it's hard to make it in tennis, there's, I think, I would think she's a pretty good chance to to make it as a pro and and make a living there at least for for a little while, right? Like, if you're a national champion in tennis and you make it like have that kind of career, it's usually a pretty good sign. There's a good track record. I think uh, it was is it Danielle Collins. I think that's her name from Virginia. Who's now like a top 50 international player. It was like the last person to go to two national championships. So um, yeah, she's in, she's in good company and uh, just wanted to basically give her a shout out at the end of the episode here. Cause you know, we don't talk about the non-rev sports a lot on here, um, but, and you know, a lot of times Miami doesn't, you know, they don't have the the track record that like, I think if we were a Stanford podcast or whatever, we'd probably talk a lot about Stanford swimming or whatever. Like, so it's always, it's good to, you know, we just wanted to give her a shout out here at the end. Yeah. I mean, my, and I a hundred percent agree, uh, my, but I have to say Miami women's tennis has been. Yes. Historically great program. Fantastic yes. over the years. Great. So Miami women's tennis is a great program and Miami has some, has also, you know, some great track and field athletes. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you're right about the minor sports. Once you have a program that's so good and, you know, or so high profile, let's say, in football and baseball, um, even even in even some, well, not now, but, you know, interesting basketball history, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough to get those uh, sm- lower profile, smaller sports, uh, the publicity they deserve. Yeah. All right, uh, so let's wrap things up there. Uh, you can follow Susan on Twitter at S. Miller Degnan. Uh, check out her baseball preview before regionals this weekend. Uh, you're covering regionals also, right? You're not up there, but you're, you're covering it remotely. Yeah, sure am. And hopefully they get into the supers, and I'll be covering that too. Yep. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DBWilson2. Uh, like I said, I, I covered Estella's last two matches last weekend. So if you want to read up on her, uh, if you missed that, you can check that out. Um, 
other than that, I'll be, uh, I'm going to, I haven't had a chance to really dive into the, the in-depth recruiting coverage yet, but I'll, I'll get to some of that this weekend and, and next week as, as these guys finish up visits. Um, I also have a story coming on uh, for, for those kind of recruiting related uh, high school football, St. Thomas Aquinas is George Smith, uh, legendary coach and athletic director is in his final days on the job before retirement. So I'll have a big story coming later this week uh, about him and his legacy and all that kind of stuff. So uh, you can check all that out. MiamiHerald.com. Um, obviously Marlins going on dolphins, OTAs, um, Miami recruiting, lots of stuff still going on, even with uh, heat and Panthers knocked out. Um, so Susan, thanks as always uh, for doing this. And uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Hey, talk to you then.